1: Welcome to Two Chunks in a Hunk. My name is Jordan Wonders, and this week, I'm your chunk.
0: My name's Doge, and uh, we used to look up at the sky and wonder at our hunk in the stars. Now, we just look down and worry about our hunk in the dirt. <laughs> and I'm Carter, and... <laughs> <laughs> Do not go
1: gentle into that good night. Old age should burn. And rave at close of day. Rage. Rage against the dying of the Trump. Hey, I'm being serious. That was like a four, five out of ten Michael Caine, but like a nine out of ten Christian Bale somehow?
0: Oh, yeah. Ooh. That was good. <laughs>
1: like That was a very good Christian Bale. I don't even... What are some of his most famous lines? I don't think he's got super famous lines where he's really British. No, I don't think so. You just channeled it.
0: I did channel it. Speaking of channeling things, quite a prestige.
1: Dosh, you said hunk.
0: I did. I did. I did. I did. I do. You know how uh, people who exercise and run uh, frequently will tell you about a runner's high? Oh, yeah. Where you're running and running and running and your legs are like, dude, stop. You don't have to do this anymore. And you're like, no, I'm gonna. And then eventually they stop hurting and you push past that barrier. It's called lying. Yeah, I've heard Exactly. Yeah. But it's a runner's high. I experienced earlier this week what I think I can only responsibly describe as an eater's high. Uh, Okay. Uh, And that is, of course, you have three back-to-back very big meals in a row. And it was barbecue, Mexican, and different barbecue, not leftover barbecue. That's amazing. Uh, And it was three, and I'm talking like to the point of being sick. That's phenomenal. The day that I had Mexican and barbecue, it was like a two o'clock lunch and like a 5:30 dinner. Oh, so it was like kind of just one big meal, but it was at two different places. So I have so I've got two questions. I have more than that many answers. So that you're in luck.
1: First question: how many pounds of food do you think you ate? Who? Six. Six pounds. Okay. Six so we got eight six pounds. Probably. I have an assumption for my second question. I have assumption to the answer, but I'll ask you because you experienced it. Okay. How many trash cans did we have to visit?
0: Hmm, mm. mm. a For question.
1: Mm. My guess is three.
0: My guess is, my guess is three. Three. Three trash cans. So here's what I'll say. <laughs> when... When you are like me and your sustenance relies on easy access to trash cans. Um, I was traveling. I was visiting family while this was happening, while I was eating these meals. And while you're on the road, access to trash cans is very hard to come by. Um, and I have found that if I just become the trash can and I treat my body like a trash can, <laughs> oh nice, then I'm, yeah. I, a trash can is never far away. Body I like a trash it. can. Yeah, that's one of my favorite hip hop <laughs> exactly. uh, title yeah. tracks so my my question is i'm gonna assume oh we all have questions we all have questions
1: yeah good. i'm gonna assume that both barbecue meals <laughs> just based on my experience were pretty protein heavy pretty meat heavy some yeah, some, brisket, sure.
0: some rib maybe some sausage yeah all those all exactly those three i stay oh, away from man. the chicken because i'm better than birds i'm not gonna right. eat them yeah <laughs> that makes sense um so I'm going to go out on a limb and say
1: probably that your, your Mexican meal was, was likely pretty carb heavy. I'm going to assume a lot of chips. I'm going to assume. Not that many um, chips, actually. Really? Okay. Yeah. But some, tor- some tortillas. I mean, about certainly. six or
0: seven enchiladas. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oof. So between all of that, I guess my, my, my two kind of final
0: questions are, how hard was the nap? Zero. I had to drive. It was four hours away. I had zero oh, nap. Oh,
1: no. What? Yeah. You drove after all of that?
0: I, I drove the day that I had uh, the day that I had Mexican and then barbecue, two big meals back to back, only separated by about an hour and a half to three hours. I finished that meal, sat at the table for like another hour, and then drove four hours home. No. Oh, and it was man. late oh. at night. We got home at like 1.30. Oh, no. And you, I mean, did you think I was going to be the hunk for this if it was like, yeah, I ate a bunch of food and took a nap like a baby does? No. Yes.
1: Yes. And then he pressed my, on. My follow up is between all that meat and that enchilada situation, what was what was your what was your bathroom experience like? Uh, again, I was on the road. Nothing. You haven't been to a bathroom since is what you're telling me. No,
0: I have since. Okay, then answer the
1: question. It was Doge. a regular
0: trip situation where I start off the ride and I'm like this is fine. I feel like a normal person and by the end of the ride I am all and completely consumed by my primal need to, <laughs> to eliminate <laughs> waste from my body.
1: <laughs> Four hour drive with no bathroom stop whatsoever.
0: I don't know if you've heard there's this germ out there that's making lots of people real sick and you get it by touching things. And I'm I'm not at the point where I can have a contactless bathroom experience. Hmm. I mean, I get it. That's tough though. I mean, you've only solidified that. You're yes, the it hunk, was hard work. To me. I told, uh, it's just like how runners have to push through Yep. And it's a exactly uh, uh, how, training their exactly mind and their how. body. I trained mm-hmm. my mind and my body to be able to perform this incredible feat. <sighs> it's just well, irresponsible, I, is what it comes down to, I think. I, <laughs> I feel like it was pretty responsible, actually. I I put away a lot of food and didn't didn't leave my special gift at any place along the road for somebody <laughs> to get sick from. Uh,
1: uh, hey. Speaking of special gifts, this movie share is, is one. And uh, it's uh, it's part five, episode five in our Nolan series. And the movie is known as Interstellar. interstellar. I'm glad we all hit that T pretty hard. Inter. You kind of have to.
0: It's not interstellar. Yeah. It's not within. It's inter. It's between. But isn't it within, though? Betwixt. I would love uh, in order to sort of kick this off just
1: Right. Uh, Doge, could you give us a synopsis, please? Sure can.
0: This week's Sh- synopsis Shir is- Sh- Shere Khan. Shere Khan from The Jungle Book writes this synopsis, and Shere Khan says, In the near future around the American Midwest, Cooper, an ex-science engineer and pilot, is tied to his farming land with his daughter Murph and son Tom. As devastating sandstorms ravage Earth's crops, the people of Earth realize their life here is coming to an end as food begins to run out. Okay, it's... Is NASA, do they have periods after the the letters? I don't think so. Eventually stumbling upon a NASA base near Cooper's home, he is asked to go on a daring mission with a few other scientists into a wormhole because of Cooper's scientific intellect and ability to pilot aircraft unlike the other crew members. In order to find a new home while Earth decays, Cooper must decide to either stay or risk never seeing his children again in order to save the human race by finding another habitable planet.
1: I mean, it does the job. It does. sums it up. Gets the job
0: done. It's trusty. It's reliable. (laughs) Sturdy. I like it. You kick the tires. This will get you down the road. Did we all (laughs) see this movie in theaters? Yes.
1: Yeah. I haven't watched it since. Whoa, really? And I forgot how far into this movie we are before we get to space. Yep. I mean, we're about 45 minutes in before we're launching.
0: It's a long no, boy. It's a long, it's a long movie. movie. It's a long movie.
1: Yeah, it, it doesn't feel long. It, right. It it really the pacing of this movie is incredible. Um, I want to I want to praise. I'll, I'll pump on the pacing just in general. I think that from the beginning, um, this movie it starts very slow and quiet. Um, and it seems like when you see two hours and forty five minutes left when you hit play a start that slow could seem daunting or seem um, yeah. a little scary. Like it's going to be a long drag, but man, this movie just flies by. And I think it's because yeah.
0: of the scale of it. Like if the prestige right. was three hours long, that would be too much. I think. Yeah, I think but I this agree. movie feels like appropriately epic. It's the same thing that it's the same reason that it's not like intimidating when I see that the Fellowship of the Ring is three hours long.
1: Right. Yeah, because you know, it's this like well, feels of
0: appropriately huge. Like you can't tell the story of the future of humanity in under three hours, right? Right. Right.
1: And Jordan, you talk about the pace too, uh, and that that it starts quiet. Uh, you know, this this is very likely not Hans Zimmer's most recognizable soundtrack. Dude, I think it's his best or maybe it might or be or maybe what best, he is though. most famous for, but it it plays such an integral role in the pace to me. It is well, I mean literally, right? Like we've got several of the most uh influential tracks are ones that are done in in the same pace of a ticking clock. Like yeah. it exactly is exactly 60 bpm. There there's moments and I you know what, if I was this has got to be way up there and I'm creating a new list for myself and I'd love for y'all to join, but of movies that I would love for a re-release in theaters. Yep. Because mm. this was such a theater experience. Totally. I think it is, it is still just as good of a movie to watch it again at home, but boy, it does not hold a candle to... And I'm talking the big screen too. You might Absolutely. be able to pull off some kind of sound system at home to give that experience again, but to have that... I saw this in IMAX. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. To have it on that screen with that quality of picture and sound, you know, and this is why Nolan is pushing for Tenet so hard. To do, It's going to be a theater movie. You know, there was a recent interview with him to where it's he, it doesn't matter as much to him about how much this movie makes, right? If yeah. we have the scenario like we talked about yesterday to where it's like every third seat is a person. You know, I still think this is going to make a nine-figure type thing, but... yeah. Th- Tenet basically has to make $400 million to break even. So right. he's like, okay, that might not happen, but
0: he wants it to be that kind of experience. And I and I get it for that. I get it. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this is one of those that you have to watch on the biggest screen and loudest speakers possible. And I think a lot of yeah. that is because of the soundtrack and the audio mix. Nolan got a lot of flack for the audio mix because it's the, the levels are all over the place. It's not where we would typically have it in a blockbuster like there are times when vocals are clearly distorting because we push the gain up on them so hard uh like it's a very very interesting and unique audio mix um but i think that 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 the score contributes to that but that is a hundred percent why you need to watch it as loud as possible
1: you know watching it in an apartment i had to ride the volume pretty much the whole movie you know turn it up for the louds, the loud spots turn it or turn it down for the loud spots, turn it up for the spots where it's quiet. Turn it quiet. up for the loud, turn it yeah, up for the really quiet, then out. keep
0: turning it up for the loud. Just
1: Yeah, I, at one point I reached 400% volume. I didn't know I could do that. But... <laughs> oh my
0: God. No, it's but a, I to... It sent my ears to space. <laughs> That's know. what happened.
1: Uh, but I don't fault the movie for that. That's just the, the price of watching a movie in the evening in an apartment is you got to be... You know, up and down on the volume controls, but I think I mean, the, I,
0: I, I'm in a house and I was writing the volume because I was like, I'm confident my neighbors can hear this. Like it is right. just blasting at some points in this yeah, movie. Yeah, but
1: there there is a level of it's a big movie, it's a big sound. I I don't know. I, yeah. I think it's not a it's not a mixed problem. It's it's just a decision that just was made. This movie is huge. Yeah, yeah. I you know I'm I'm a huge fan of. I mean, we're all big fans of art in general but especially the museum experience. And so you can get a print or if you're wealthy enough, buy a picture off the wall, right? At an art museum and bring that home. But it feels to me that Christopher Nolan movies, especially interstellar are the thing that's only at the museum for two months and it is immersive experience. It's the thing where they've changed the lighting They've changed all this kind of stuff. It's, it's the, the, it's the that, traveling it's that,
0: exhibit in the basement space it's, of the Perot. It's exactly
1: what that is. Yep. He is the traveling exhibit. He is off to the right. It's something you'll never forget. Um, but you don't get that same experience when you bring it home. And I think that's fine. But especially with the... I remember especially in theaters, when we get the loud stuff, um, I, I started to... For some reason, Hans Zimmer gave me a way to almost feel as in awe and uncomfortable as those that are on the flight. It, it is, is kind of like the organ.
0: It is. Yep. It yeah. is a church the organ. organ.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it kind of made, it probably made my face look like Matt's when he <laughs> has to spin that spaceship to keep up
0: with the, yep. with the station. You know, it's just, it's great. Jeez. It's great. Uh, Nolan wrote Zimmer a note before this, before he began scoring this movie, he was like, I want you to do this one. Uh, and, I think it needs to be totally different. So no more of those endless string ostinatos that you do. And big drums are out the window. So you really need to innovate with this one. And I'm super mm. glad. <laughs> I'm super glad. They did. I wonder how many times Hans Zimmer has had. I feel like there's there's no way that many directors have said stuff like that to him. <laughs> right. Uh, but we've talked before about the relationship between Nolan and Zimmer, where it's like, oh, okay, I, I guess we'll do that. And it, yeah. I think it totally worked out.
1: You feel like it's got to be packaged in a way too of... I'm giving you this because I know you're capable. Right. Sure. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, there's a, similar, a mutual we'll, respect. Not,
0: we'll talk about it next week, but the that's like, that's Nolan's pocket watch, his own personal watch in the Dunkirk soundtrack. Right. So like they have yeah. just that kind of relationship where they can influence each other's work.
1: Yeah. I yeah. love it. Um, so I think something I'd like to talk about very briefly is the casting of uh, Cooper's children of Murph and Tom and uh, yes. their kids. Um, So Mackenzie Foy, the actress that plays young Murph. Oh, you mean Renesmee? Wait, is it really?
0: It is. That's (laughs) Renesmee from
1: (laughs) 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 She's back. We have done more movies of this young lady than Brad Pitt. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. Okay, that's amazing. So, yeah. Okay, so first of all, I want to say she's pretty good.
0: She's much better than she was as a baby.
1: That's true. Yeah. Also, dead ringer for young Jessica Chastain. Absolutely. I mean, very, very, very down to mannerisms, which is probably more speaking to older Jessica Chastain. But I mean, dead on. Um, But kind of same with um, Timothy Chalamet. I feel like I feel like he really he does a great job as Tom, and then. The, so I'm a sucker for Casey Affleck, man. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but basically anything he does, I'm just like, yeah, good job.
0: Are you Casey over Ben? Yes. Oh, you can only have close. one Affleck for the rest of your life, and it's Casey. It's,
1: it is not even close to me, dude. It's Casey. I think I'm all the same day. way. That's tough for me because they've both done great stuff outside of like they've done good producing and things like that too. That yeah. I agree with for sure. I think In as writing. an actor, I will take Casey. I think Casey's better. All day. I would say that as an actor as well, but I think in their complete body of work, I'd probably take Ben. It's tough. It's a big mm. one. And honestly, there's so many eggs in the Goodwill hunting basket for me. No, for that. That's a good point. Because Casey has nothing to do with that. Well, and that's one of my, my favorites. He's in it a little bit. Sure. He's in it a little bit. Whatever, whatever you say. He is. It's a,
0: it's a real Sophie's <laughs> I know he is. Affleck. I
1: know he is. I'm not going to.
0: Um, you didn't hear yeah. my good joke. I said it's a real Sophie's Affleck. I heard it because it's like, it's (laughs) like you have to choose one.
1: Oh, no, I I I got it the first round.
0: I still don't get it. Dead ringers though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think so. And, um, I don't know. I think, so this movie kind of Tom, Tom is great and his, his relationship to the story is important, but This movie really lives and dies on Coop and Murph's relationship and buying it early on. And um, the the, like father-daughter chemistry that Matthew McConaughey and Mackenzie Foy have early is so powerful. Yep. Um, I really feel like they locked in really, really well. So much
0: a test. I'm a big, big nerd. Like huge dork. It's terminal. I'm going to die from it. But that was almost my super pump the least like sciency nerdy part of this movie was almost right. my super pump because it's so good.
1: Yeah. And when we look at the the production process and the relationships of these people off camera, you know, Chris Nolan talks a ton about how good of a father Matt McGonaghy is. So Chris Nolan approached Matt McGonaghy for this movie because of mud, which ended up being right. on extra credit for us. Cause that's one of his top credits. Yeah. So I forget that mud. I forget that mud gets, uh, it's underrated, but it was Matt's first leading role outside of just being the funny country guy. Yeah. Like, Mud was a dramatic role for him, and that kind of kicked off his, you know, Dallas Buyers Club, the Interstellar, the Um, But Christopher Nolan talks about, like, jokes that there was a regret to bring him on to the film because Matt... Uh, in between takes a lot of the times would play with the kids, like play with his kids that would come visit him and then also play with Chris Nolan's kids, like fort building and stuff like that. And Chris Nolan was like, in the end, I ended up looking like a worse father <laughs> because I had I had him as a part of this project. Um, but Matt McGonaghy does seem to be one of those just genuine... He's the one where, you know, it's it's interesting with media junkets and stuff, how people are written, right? Like, uh, this guy's supposed to be this, but we always... Well, not always, but often find out off-screen though, like in real life, they're not what they portray themselves as. Right. But Matt is becoming more and more special to me as he just yes. seems like this genuinely good person. Did y'all watch his 4th, 4th of July Dad. message?
0: Last yes. Week? Yeah. I love it. Wearing masks? Yeah. Yes. Just phenomenal. Well, there's grow a girl range they're, on
1: they're, this one, aren't we? Who boy? <laughs> Who boy? <Yes. laughs> they're, um, i it, it's just heartbreaking. The don't leave me like this, Murph. Like, don't let it be this. Yes. Yeah. With just the the... Just how jaded she is in that moment and how that he doesn't want that to be their last moment together was so good. The two of them did great. Yeah. I cried a lot in this movie. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, I love them. I I I'm I'm honestly a big John Lithgow fan as well. I feel like most of the time that he's I forgot he was he in he this crushes. I know. Yeah. But yeah. there's there's so much good that happens in the first part of this movie that is completely overshadowed by how incredible the back two thirds are. But I'm ready to go to space. (laughs) Yeah. Right before we go to space though, I think one image that I had completely forgotten about that is our pre space time is the very interesting thing that kind of is the catalyst for them getting the coordinates and hunting down NASA, but having the binary given to us in dust. Right. right. uh, Is so very Christopher Nolan and so incredibly creative that you just want to know, like, what, what part of your mind thought of something like this? And again, to even have something like that not only be there to look crazy and be something that's memorable, but to tie it in yeah, to how we, how we get that. Anyways, Amazing. but I, I
0: wanted to at least reference that so we can come back uh, to Y'all it. know, too, that the interview footage that we're using at the beginning of this, aside from the obvious one that's the actress that is old Murph, that's right. actual documentary footage from a Ken Burns documentary about the Dust Bowl. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's fascinating. So yeah, it's really great. Adds a lot of um, gravity to like what you're seeing.
0: Adds a lot of gravity. Ooh, yeah. nice. It's the only force that can transcend dimensions.
1: <laughs> and love also. It's love, Murph.
0: It's love, Murph.
1: <laughs> Actually, it's I've, I've always quoted that line as it's love, Murph, but he says it to TARS. It's love, TARS. <laughs> <laughs> you're never this clean, Slick. It's my favorite line in this whole movie.
0: Me too. Ever. <laughs> he said it and I was like, "Ooh, Matt. Uh, Matt is the only person who can sound cool calling somebody Slick. I don't know. I right? think like Slick I, is a pretty cool thing to call somebody. If I went to the grocery store and they were like, how you doing today, sir? And I'm like, I'm doing pretty good, Slick. Yeah, that's tough. Like, that's tough. Excuse me? You don't get this food now.
1: Yeah. Matt is in that bucket of like uh, Jeff Bridges
0: yep. yes. and Sam Elliott yes. and... There's only a handful He of can call me buddy without it being condescending. It's not patronizing, yeah. Ooh, because I usually hate buddy or buddy. Exactly. Usually, but if Matt it. was like, how's it going, buddy? I would be like, pretty <laughs> good. Are we best friends now? <laughs> Matthew
1: McConaughey calling you slick is like somebody's grandma that's not your grandma calling you sugar. And it's like, I'm in. Yeah, I made it. i made it. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, we launched a space. So I want to talk. I don't want to miss Ann Hathaway here. In this movie. Yes. Because I think it's going to be really easy to talk about how cool space is, how great Matt is, how great some other things are. I don't want to miss how incredible Anne Hathaway is here.
0: She's really good in this.
1: I love Anne Hathaway, just kind of in general. Um, I'm just pretty much always instantly charmed by her in any movie. I think that she's very yeah. easy to like and follow.
0: Hey, so was William Shakespeare. Get-
1: yeah. <laughs> nice.
0: You might get her three series in a row. You yeah. Like, oh gosh, yeah, that's really true. Might. Is her name going to be Amelia in the next movie? Because so far we're two for two. <laughs> that's that's funny. No, she she really is so good,
1: and she's able to deliver lines with a lot of sincerity and a lot like her her panic when she's realizing that they might not go to Edmund's planet. Um, and her, you know, it it would be I think a lesser actor would have made that moment would have made Brand really hateable. Yeah. And I think she was able to make it almost understandable, like almost to where it's like, yeah, I get yeah. where you're coming from. Like it. And I would imagine, I would imagine roles like this, especially for actors that have exhibited obviously incredible work before, but roles like this, to where there's really nothing inherently interesting about your character, right. uh, are really swept under the rug. But yeah. I, I'm glad y'all brought it up because this is still such a, a pivotal part to the story, and it has to be done well you know it's not like the the jake gyllenhaal playing detective loki like he's so interesting and and always wanting to have ticks for certain people and stuff like that and matt is one of those characters that just kind of gets to bring that to any role mcgonaghy it's just he's already interesting right yeah but yeah anne hathaway to just kind of play this character i think is just really well done she does a really good job of being a little bit naive that's one thing like Matt feeling like he's got to babysit this whole crew because this is really nothing they are not capable right like we've got three brains and the one and the pilot who's also you know super capable right but like people who had not intended to ha- have space flight and they try and point that out but yeah she does a good job of being doe-eyed and naive and yet so it's 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 yeah. funny that you mentioned that I actually got a completely different read on her character and the crew um, I did too. I, I I'm just talking about space flight. Right. They they are meant to uh, have the capability of knowing where to go once they get there. Yeah, but they were not trained to be
0: astronauts. Right? It's the I mean, it's the Martian thing. The other Matt Damon is stranded in space, and Jessica Chastain has to help rescue him. Movie. Uh, right, where he's a botanist, not necessarily trained for what he's experiencing. He is a subject matter expert, but he's not a like a polymath, right. like he's asked to be in the story. But w- one for of sure.
1: my one of my favorite things about the crew is they're all kind of bringing their own baggage into everything. Um,
0: oh, for you know, sure. Like, I mean, I think that's a very uh, that's thematically intentional when they say right. we're the best of humanity, and <clears throat> McConaughey's like only what we bring with us. Then,
1: right. But but like you get you know brand bringing her 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 own selfishness in with Edmund and the desire to continue the relationship that they had. You have um, I can never remember how to say his name, Um, Romilly. Yeah, Romilly. Um, You have you have Romilly coming in and bringing a lot of fear into the situation and being controlled by a lot of fear. And then um, not a lot of Doyle. Doyle just seems like he's ready to go, but. He brings a lot of beard. He brings a lot of beard,
0: um, but there's a whole lot of great beard.
1: You have Cooper Cooper bringing in, he just wants to rush everything. Like, like his whole thing is, we're going to do this as fast as possible at the expense of doing it right sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I just think that makes a really yeah, interesting the- dynamic between the crew. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, everybody's got sort of their own thing. Hey, I also want to say, it might just be me. Did you guys find Matthew McConaughey's hair disturbingly black? There, there were multiple no, times no. when I was like, it's, it's too dark. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I was like, it's too dark. His hair is too dark. His hair is kind of wet most of the movie. He's kind yeah, of wet. Either from sweat or... He's just shiny. I don't think he's
0: wet. He's just polished. Yeah. <laughs> like leather. It could be that. Yeah. yeah it could he be looks that. like
1: He looks like you could wipe his forehead and grease up a pan
0: a couple of times. I could rub my shoes on him and polish my shoes with him.
1: Yeah. And I think they'd be better for it. Um, personally, so <laughs> there's so many, I moments. don't want to lose
0: the the juxtaposition to of the, uh, the like mission, the launch countdown as we're driving through a cornfield. Typically we, if we, if that's in another movie, we see astronauts faces. Uh, but we, uh, in this instance, we're showing the side of a truck driving through a cornfield. Um, we do a lot of that stuff where we juxtapose these classic science fiction things with very human, very small natural things. I think in particular of, of, one half of my favorite shots in this movie. I think I know what you're saying, uh, which gonna say. is the tiny 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 endurance uh transiting across Saturn set to the sound and of crickets. While that's happening it's like forest sound effects. I think that is Dude. that's like probably and, and the pair obviously it's they're uh huh, they're quantum entangled if you affect one it affects the other. It's hey. the the tiny the ship transiting across Gargantua, the black hole the way that we pair those and intentionally draw uh, a a kind of a comparison between them where Saturn is far away, but feels close to home because we can still hear home when we're there. And then Mm. now when we're at Gargantua, it feels totally alien and uncaring because we don't hear home anymore. Uh, But those two things, that was another thing that was almost my super pump. I think the brilliance of those two shots and the way that they're scored and the way that they're placed within the narrative is like, I don't know. I, I honestly am struggling to think of anything in a movie that tops that for me.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. it's the the shot specifically of Saturn with the nature sounds is like burned into my memory from the one time other that I have seen. Like it's yeah. just so perfect. It's so good yep. and so so uniquely interstellar. You know, I I as I was watching it, I was like, what other movie is going to have you watch this? Tiny space station float through space, set to a rainstorm and crickets. Yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, um, and and there's a lot of, I think you know you could argue that the organ in the soundtrack lends this sort of a pseudo religious experience, like otherworldly. Certainly, yeah, it conjures up sort of a a, a transcendent. Yeah, and and I think yeah. when the organ is just pulsing and everything's loud and there's engines firing and people are talking over each other and you can't really take all of it in at one time. It's that's sometimes when this movie is at its absolute best. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's that sensory experience. It intentionally that makes overwhelms me feel, you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously there are, there is a ton of this movie that we're just going to kind of skip off the surface of cause we don't have time. Um, but for now we are going to go. Welcome to Shout Announcements. It's the part where we do shout outs and announcements and stuff. Hey, you've heard us talk about Patreon. You know what's up. But listen, there's something new on the horizon. The event horizon, that is. It's a black hole. I'm just kidding. Or am I? I am. (laughs) If you're a patron to us, well, congratulations. You now have your patron-only special discount code for all merch. And that's going to go on for a little while to say thank you for supporting and loving us. And there's a special new design in the merch store designed to say thank you to patrons. Now, anybody can buy it because we're not good at websites, but don't. Hey, honor system, don't. Actually, we get the money either way, so go ahead and buy it. Everybody buy it. That's what I have to say about that. But become a patron, get access to special merch codes, discounts, special episodes, Special Paces on the website, all sorts of good stuff. <laughs> special
0: Paces. It's pace. also special. special Paces.
1: Special Paces on special the website. Paces. Special Paces on, on the, the website. website. Another Special Pace we're going to be going to very soon is one called Musical. <gasps> Our next series is going to be five weeks of musicals. And to say that we are excited is quite the understatement. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, We're excited for many reasons. Uh, This is going to be... We feel like some of our best series have been those that you are voting on. And so that's going to happen again here. Uh, We're going to curate a list very soon uh, and give you guys about a week's time to vote on uh, five musicals that you would like to hear us talk about on this podcast. Uh, And so this felt like the kind of content that was special enough that we didn't want to just do it by ourselves. We wanted to bring in a guest. And so we're excited uh, to get into the rhythm... (laughs) Uh, of having some guest contributions and our guest is going to be the very talented, wicked, wickedly talented, <laughs> uh, Katie Peslis. Uh, and I would follow her on Instagram so y'all can start to get a taste of what she's able to do. She is a vocalist impressionist. Um, she loves our show and we love her content. And so it's just going to be a perfect, uh, pairing there. Katie's going to be with us for that whole series. So, uh, get ready
0: foot that. Another thing you need to get ready for if you are Melissa Joan Hart is the continued avalanche of kindness from our dear Chunkies. Mm. Um, If you are, so okay, just here's a quick, like, too long, didn't read version of this. We made a movie and put it on the internet as a joke. And then we found out that Melissa was making the same movie, uh, but maybe read ours or maybe didn't read ours. And so we're just trying to get in touch with her. To mostly say how crazy is it that we came up with the same horrible Christmas pun starring the same actor, which is, of course, the incomparable Mario with the
1: same general story Uh, outline
0: with the same general storyline. But I mean, I feel like every Christmas movie is protagonist saves Christmas. So, you know, it could be a case of Armageddon Deep Impact, Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) except it would be a case of Armageddon, Armageddon, (laughs) Armageddon, Armageddon, exactly. (laughs) Uh, We are asking for your help in bringing a particular kind of Armageddon down on Melissa Joan Hart, and Mm. that is the Armageddon of your very kind comments on her posts about the movie Feliz Navidad, in which you encourage her to read the DM that we sent her. We have been trying uh, and unfortunately not succeeding to get in touch with Melissa and her mother Paula and her good friend Mario, and it's just not happening for us. So we need the power of the people on our side.
1: It's not happening for us. Yet.
0: Yet, exactly.
1: Yeah. An actionable step is something that I've done personally is I've gone to follow Melissa and am, am doing the thing on Instagram where I am notified when she posts. Yep. So I am getting all that good Melissa Joan Hart content, but
0: just simply waiting to pounce on any hint of Felice Dad. I mean, I don't know of anybody that didn't have the notifications on already. We're all right, waiting right, right. for Sabrina the Teenage Witch too. Sabrina the grown-up adult witch. But... And since that's not coming, we got to make do with Felice not be Oh,
1: is it that, Melissa? <laughs> and as we cross through the wormhole, we arrive back at the show. Here we are. We're, we're back.
0: We're back. That was such a weird and calm energy.
1: I want to talk about the water planet, please. Thank you. Okay. Um, I... There are two moments in this movie that stress me out beyond belief. Mm-mm. this is one <laughs> I bet of, I know what they are this is one of them
0: is the other one docking I don't want with to talk station? about that yet okay
1: this is one of the most stressful things I've ever seen in a movie that wave is so big that it just fills me with dread like yeah as it when he's like those aren't mountains it's like oh no <laughs> it's like it's like you know you talk about getting so scared that your 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 butt clenches but it's like my whole body became butt and just
0: all clenched at one time (laughs) listen we've already covered this your whole body yeah i was gonna say on mars needs moms we talked about this that's true
1: also i'm not convinced that doyle's dead when they leave (laughs) oh there's trivia on that there's like yeah it could be he could be alive And just had passed assuming his suit is airtight, he didn't get smashed against anything. So as long as he's got enough oxygen in there, he's probably just unconscious. Well, I wonder if...
0: I mean, it's 1.8 times Earth gravity, right? Yeah. I wonder if the thought is he's just crushed to death underneath all of the... Uh, That's true. there's, There's nothing for the other astronaut to get dashed against either. I think they're probably crushed under the pressure of the water.
1: That's fair. Gosh, how terrifying. That's
0: fair. But yeah, this planet rules. It's just so scary, though. Yeah, very much. Uh, the song "Mountains" from the Interstellar soundtrack that accompanies this scene Oof. Uh, was actually, first of all, was a huge inspiration for our our theme that we wrote for this series. But but second, which is amazing by the I way, it gets me so pumped up every yeah, time, same. every Tuesday episode. It makes it sound like we should be way more intense than we are. But <laughs> uh, that song is uh, instantly fills me with dread when I hear it. Yeah, no matter what even if I haven't watched this movie in years. I love
1: that our theme song right now is inspired by that and it fills you with dread and it's so intense and then it's immediately like, I have barbecue and Mexican and barbecue. Like the second that (laughs) this song ends. (laughs) Oh, man. What a, what a good a You just podcast. sounded like the two monsters that work at yep. Monsters, Inc. <laughs> that are such fanboys of Sully. <laughs> that guy? Oh, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Once, once we get off this planet and we realize that Romley's been alone for, what, 23.8 years. Mm-hmm. Everybody's all grown up. And then Cooper sits down to watch the videos that his children have seen. I mean, that's Jeez. so... Let's not just blow over the coming back and finding out he's been waiting oh that gosh. long. Just the, you know, we've talked about how Chris Nolan is just a time wizard and he's just so good at all these different concepts of time. But like, that is, that is heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That is, and this character, you know, he doesn't have a ton of lines, Mm -mm. but you feel like you know him relatively
0: well and just how he's feeling. Speaking of relatively, my super pump for this movie is how deep into the theory of relativity weeds we get and how much that's a crucial component of the plot. That's something, I feel like that's a type of story that you don't see in film very often. Sci-fi films are typically, we got to go to this planet, but there's no oxygen. How will we live? Not how will we deal with the theory of relativity, the theory of relativity fundamentally messing with the way that we understand the passage of time and our role in relation to the people back home. Right that's something I feel like you'd find in a novel. And that's uh, a lot of my favorite science fiction novels are super heady like that. But I, I really love how heady this film is and how, uh, and I, I don't know, I'm sounding like the caricature of the person that we talked about when we made this series. Like, dude, did you see Nolan's latest right, movie? Right. I bet you don't yeah, even right. understand it, but I do. But I feel like, I mean, this to me feels like Nolan's headiest movie. I think um, so. Having not seen Tenet yet. And also haven't, having not seen Dunkirk. Um, this does feel like the headiest movie and I, I just love all of the, like that the resolution of this plot resolves in the, the like kind of dimensional way that it does. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to explain, I it, too. but it's so, so good. Which feels like it is the right so time good. to super
1: dump. Um, so in this scene, Murph comes on the screen and says, you said to me that you might come back, you know, this is a special birthday because I'm the age that you were when you left. Murph was 10 when he left. That's what he says. 23.8 years have gone by. So that means she's probably 33. So that means that a couple of things have happened. That means that Matthew McConaughey was supposed to be playing a 33-year-old at the beginning of this movie, which he does not look like at all. And that means that Jessica Chastain is supposed to be playing a 33-year-old, which is fine, but they do not... she, She and Matthew McConaughey during that time when we're seeing Jessica Chastain playing Murph and Matt still playing Cooper are supposed to be playing the same age or roughly the same age. And that just does not jive for Jordan. Um, Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's harder for, they haven't been
0: gone for 23 years. They haven't been gone from earth for 23 years. Well, they've been gone for 25. So they were on the planet for 23 years. Right.
1: And, and they got to the planet. What is it's, 22 months after leaving earth is when they get to the planet. So it's a little under two years. So it's, it's a grand total of about 25 years. So Matt was 35 when he left. I'm I'm just saying. Yeah. It's, it's, it's off by about a decade. Just
0: saying they don't look the same age. Right.
1: It's off by about a yeah. decade to me. Um, and it's yeah. just, it's really obvious. And that's probably their actual age at right. the time. Closer to that. But yeah, cause she was about thirty-five. Yeah, no, she fits thirty-five. Was he does not. That's yep. my that's my mm-hmm. but I, I do see what I see what you're saying. I do see what you're um, saying. And so yeah, in, in a movie that is so um so meticulous and so intensely focused on time, it seems like an oversight that the passage of time doesn't jive with the age that we're saying people are, you know. That's something that that's something yeah. that it sticks out like a sore thumb because everything else is so meticulous to yeah. me. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So that's my that's my super dump. Yep, I can see that too. My uh, super pump was uh, reconfirmed during the scene of uh, Coop watching yeah. the videos. <laughs> I I I Matthew McConaughey. Oh, oh my hey. gosh. As Coop is my super pump. Yeah. And he's just so immersive. There is something so, is it hypnotizing? I can't say the word, but he just seems so relatable in such an unrelatable environment. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but he, yeah, he has got to be one of the best Hollywood grievers I have ever seen. Like, his, his crying and His that, cry, laugh, dude. That's the, th- that's the one that gets me every time. Yeah. 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 It's just unreal. But yeah, he's, throughout the movie, he, you know, because he's, he's almost on screen the entire movie, it feels like. He, he has so much screen time. And he, I think he just more than carries it. I think it's phenomenal. I think, I have not seen Dallas Buyers Club. Um, and that is what won him an Oscar. But this has got to be pretty close to his best performance uh, that I've ever seen. And, and obliterates thinking of how to lose a guy in 10 days. Oh, right. Yeah. And right. It doesn't feel like the same All that person. kind of stuff. No, this not feels at all. like Obviously, I put it on a pedestal, but this feels like true detective Matt McConaughey. Like, just peak. Right. Just peak.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, I think, I think he also shows off a lot in this movie in the Tesseract. When he's yeah. banging on the bookshelves and kind of screaming at Murph and crying and screaming because at the himself. The visual
0: effect of the Tesseract is unbelievably good. Yeah, it's nuts. With yeah. the, the multiple like points of horizon. It, it looks exactly like if you go to the Wikipedia page for fourth dimensional uh, physics, basically, there's an animation of a Tesseract that's like, here's what a cube looks like if it's projected into... Yeah. Four dimensions. And it's that exact animation of the bookshelf closing in on itself when he's done there.
1: Yeah. It's unreal. It's just, yeah, he was there was a lot asked of him in playing this mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Coop goes through a mm-hmm. lot of emotions and environments and stuff like that. You know, uh, I think maybe even at this point, you know, we had seen Mud already. I don't think Dallas Buyers Club had happened yet, but I would wonder if it had been more. Broadcast that Matt Damon was going to be in this movie. Uh, that people would have thought he would have been better for this role, right? Like that is Matt. Matt Damon is far more known for dramatic roles at this point. At that point in time, than Matt yeah. McConaughey. But I, yeah, right. But I cannot possibly imagine them no. switched. I. So let's talk about Matt Damon. Let's talk about um um, Man, man's planet, Doctor yeah. Man, Doctor Man. Um, yeah, I think that this planet is my favorite environment. In the movie,
0: you know... With the, like, ice clouds?
1: Yeah, it's just so interesting. Um, I, I haven't seen yeah. a lot of movie environments that give off this vibe. Like, something so... It, by the time man reveals that he lied, it's like, well, of course. Look how desolate. Like... Yeah. You know, it, it just... It is it is not surprising. You talk about an, yeah, you talk about intense part of the movie when they are helmet-budding. <sighs> like, when Matt is... And he's like, hey, your chance is 50-50. And he says, that's the best chances I've had. and x amount of years yeah and then it cracks that is so stressful too that's up there with the water And something i I didn't remember i think my go ahead sorry uh something i didn't remember is matt damon's performance walking away from coop i mean don't get me wrong matt mcconaughey is out of this world but matt damon is bringing it when he's walking away talking about you know do you see them? Do you see your kids? I, I thought I could look at you. I'm sorry. I had planned to stay and watch, but I can't. Like, I can't do it. Like, that whole thing is so good. Ugh. Dark. It is just dark. really dark.
0: I think my super dump is here. And I did not, I honestly did not think I had a super dump when we sat down to record this. I've been, like, racking my brain trying to think of what it is. And I don't think I like Matthew McConnell. Uh, Who? 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 almost said a heresy. I don't think I like Matt Damon for this role. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Um, I think I would have preferred a Nolan alumni for this. Like, let's get Killian Murphy in for this role or let's get uh, the guy who's in tenant. I don't remember his name. He's in tenant. He was the, the detective, the police officer that got shot and killed in insomnia. Oh yeah. Um, Matt Damon to me, and it's a bad case. I think right here we get a l- a little bit of a bad case of Nolan dialogue, where it's like that sounds so cool, and nobody talks like that, right? No real person would say those words, and I it it feels almost like Matt Damon is playing his character from True Grit, but got sent into space. Uh, he's playing the <laughs> Texas Ranger, and it just says weird stuff. I don't know. It just he doesn't quite work for me. Hmm. I think in the way that he needs to. Hmm.
1: That's fair. It lands for me, but that's fair. Hmm. I think it lands for me. I think in my mind, I excuse it of like, this dude's clearly gone crazy. Like, yeah, you know, out here alone on this rocky ice planet. But
0: yeah, and hear me. I know that's nitpicky. Sure, there's yeah. very little that I think is actually wrong with this movie. Sure, totally. <laughs> hey, also this this gives us a good opportunity on this planet with
1: Kip to talk about the marine robots. I love them so. Dude, much. they're so cool. So inventive, so interesting, especially when we get to see um, it's Tars and Case. what's the other one's name? Case, Case, I think is the one that goes to get Brand on the Water Planet, yes. and then we get to see how fast these things can move. Yeah. You know, you imagine a battalion of these <laughs> in some kind of war. Yeah it it was it was so inventive. It felt it's tough because I don't know if you're going to get very many robot characters that continue to be like iconic in film. No way like you would have for like uh space odyssey and star Wars, um, even star Wars, even, but this got close. I don't think it's appreciated enough, but yeah. uh, because it's like how much, how many people are going to do fan
0: art of a brick, right. you know, it's like, it's not, it's yeah. the most realistic design that I've seen though. I feel like,
1: mm-hmm. and it, yeah. it like, and I love, I it. think
0: it's something with their voices and then their their like displays, but there is this like, kind of retro futurism going on with a lot of the NASA tech where it feels like a little alien. Like it feels like the ship, the ship from alien. Exactly. Or it feels like mm-hmm. from the, the star, Tre- gosh, not star Trek, the the original star Wars movies, but a way that it feels like, I don't know. I could totally see how the set design and prop design is paying respect to those great sci-fi movies, 2001. Like it's, it really has that kind of classic sci-fi feel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until obviously we get into the Tesseract and then it becomes firmly a Christopher Nolan movie. And that's one of the things I love about this is it was shopped around Hollywood for a while as a Steven Spielberg project. Steven Spielberg hired Jonathan Nolan to write this and uh, Spielberg ultimately ended up passing on it. And then Jonathan Nolan was like, hey, Chris, do you want to do this one? (laughs) And that's why like for, uh, for so much of it, it feels like a really classic, like, mid like early 80s late 70s response to star wars type of science fiction movie yeah but then Mm -hmm. at the very end it turns very very modern in the same way that arrival is a modern science fiction movie right right yeah and i think
1: i think you're right in saying that the robots lend themselves to that and i think it is the mix of like um it's almost like a brutalistic design like very Mm -hmm. sparse Um, but then their personality, like TARS is a character. Case is a character. Like they're not a robot. They're they're just characters in the movie and it's very interesting. Um, I'd like to talk about the docking scene specifically because it is my super pump.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Awesome.
1: I, the first time I saw this movie, when it finished and they docked and they lock and they stopped the spin, I realized that I had been crying but did not know <laughs> yeah. that I was like in theaters, it, they docked and I was like, "Whoa, Whoa. Hey, I'm crying. <laughs> um, and yeah. it, I didn't, I didn't cry watching this movie this time, but it was like, for me, it's the song. It's the spin. It's the performance. It's, the conversation between Coop and TARS about making sure that everything's ready to go. It's the stakes of everything. It's knowing that we just lost all this stuff. There's more, like, all of it together. I'm not saying this is the best scene in movies. I'm just saying it doesn't get much better than this. Yeah. This is just yeah, it's, perfect. Yeah, it's just so intense. It's a more realistic, you know, there's several when you get thrillers or, or I, I wouldn't necessarily, ah, this has kind of got a thriller yeah. vibe to it in terms of a movie genre at, at as a whole, parts especially but when you have thrillers, sometimes you're like, okay, that's ridiculous. You're only adding these things to make me feel a certain right, way. Right. Like this would not happen, but this felt like, even though we were outside of a, <laughs> I mean, like you look at the setting of where we are and how pr- pretty unrealistic that is right now. Uh, but to put us in a place to be like, I get it. You know, this is what he had to do. Like all he, like Nolan decides to spin the station and now we have to also spin the spaceship and Dr. Mann was crazy enough to try and dock and he blew up. You know, those kind of things felt like they were so a part of the plot and that they weren't only there to make me squirm because I do feel like a lot of thrillers even thrillers that we would consider doing this kind of stuff well are just doing extra things to make you squirm right. a little bit. I think there is something... And this just felt like it, it was stuff, yeah. Cooper and Romilly's conversation about um, some of the world's best yachtsmen don't know how to swim. I think... I, I would bet that if you asked Christopher Nolan this question, he would say that he approached the movie thinking like this. I hope he did. but But all I think about right now with space is... This movie really is set up like it is. I mean, call it whatever you want, a a sailing adventure movie. Like It really is sort of like there's not much difference between a voyage in a boat a long time ago out onto the ocean to go find uncharted places as there is in space. The difference being in a movie about boats, this would have been Cooper approaching a ship with no one at the helm during a storm. Right? That's what would've, that would have been. That's the analog.
0: Yeah. Space
1: mm-hmm. is, at any given point, both calm waters and a storm. And it just depends on what's happening around you. And that's what makes it so scary, I think. Um,
0: yeah. You know, yeah. like,
1: the difference between the storm and the calm, it's not like the storm dissipated. They went in and stopped the spin. Um, and I think that's what makes this movie so unique is its approach to the terror of space being changing in an instant. Which I mean, yeah. I guess that's not that unique, but it is just so everything I is mean, elevated. Gra- so much.
0: Gravity does that, and the Martian does that, right. but I think this does it way better. I think so too, and and
1: it's just so yeah. And you're talking about in the way that space itself can be an antagonist, right? right? Or like, are you talking about right? Yeah, space for is sure. not actively spinning the station, the Endurance, but it's not yeah. going to stop because it's in space. You know, like
0: well, sure. I mean, that's that's right. the conversation that that Cooper and uh, and princess mia have on the ship <laughs> is, is she's like there's no evil up here and he's like what about nature do you think nature might be evil and she's like no it just is it exists indifferently but the only evil up here is what yeah. we bring with us yeah
1: and i think that that is kind of what separates this as a sci-fi film because i think it does jordan i think you hit the nail on the head it is it is doing so well the antagonistic like nature of nature space i think <laughs> yeah, that's good no. Just nature of nature. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, we talk about like some of these other references to movies and I did think about Alien a lot because I always do in any sci-fi sure. movie, but that one is just, that's all about the xenomorph. Right. That's all about yeah. just being against something tangible, like right in front of you. Yeah, this, this falls into the category of movies where, because even movies that take place on ships, this, this might not make sense. Movies that take place on ships like Alien, they don't really take place in space. I mean, the ship is in space, but it happens on the ship interstellar right, happens. Right. You're getting to in know the space. ship very well. Yeah. And I think that's what is so uh, fun about it to me. Yep. Talk, you know, all this talk on space, I guess I could have made that transition at any point during <laughs> this uh, episode, but so the, the Kip Thorne collaboration was almost my super pop. Yep. um, just because this is, you know, there's a player, there's a character who plays Kip Thorne in The Theory of Everything. I mean, he is kind of the, the uh, uh we had who? Tesla and- uh, Edison. Edison, you know, it's like Kip Thorne and Stephen Hawking kind of vibe. Uh, Matt Damon's robot vet. is
0: named Kip after Kip Thorne. Yeah.
1: Amazing. So one of my favorite things about this was, you know, Kip Thorne, Kip Thorne is this like master of like the research of space and specifically black holes and all that kind of stuff. But I love that he gets to be a part of this they helped each other because he gets to be a part of this project. And um, what was I going to say? Hold up. Okay. So uh, the visual effects and, and Kip Thorne working with this crew uh, helped provide new insight for him into the effects of gravitational lensing. So like the fact that he, me as a researcher right now, right? So I'm I'm pursuing a doctorate on charisma and let's say I get my doctorate on charisma and I become a charisma expert. Uh, but there's still just so much I don't know. But it kind of it it would cost money for me to know more about these kind of things. I just don't have the bandwidth to research this how I would want to. But then Ridley Scott says, "Hey, you know what? We're making a movie that really has a lot to do with that. Would you be able to come on board and kind of guide us there? Like the fact that all of a sudden now, Kip Thorne's mind has a 165 million dollar budget, right? <laughs> is the kind of perfect experience." That it could have gone wrong, but it went so right. Because we also get, uh, I mean, this gave new insights. It's like that it was a research project. And I love that about this. And that was another thing that, you know, Ridley Scott did do that with The Martian too. It felt like a research project. I, I appreciate so much uh, in a place that we have seen. Like when we go into space, there's two parts of this, right? We also have the mind of George Lucas, who gets to be absolutely ridiculous, but we love it most of the time. Like he's inventing completely new things and giving faces to completely new things. I'm landing on worlds, about 50 of the time, I think, ultimately. Sure, was, sure, <laughs> sure. When we have something that's more bent on realism sure. and consulting minds that are already in that field, I have so much respect for that. And, and I thought it was so cool. Because what we also got with this was that he um, he, he, like, he wrote two scientific papers based off of the work that he did on this movie. Because it lent itself to to provide things for him that he, they weren't quite revealed yet, and it's because he had uh, the computer graphics in that community. Like he also wrote a paper on on computer graphics. Mm-hmm. It, it's just crazy how these two worlds helped each other, and I loved yeah. it so much. Yeah, I think that's really great. Um, you know, we already talked-
0: uh, while you're talking about while you're talking about that black hole thing, I think it's super interesting that, that we had not seen a black hole until last year. Um, that was when we were able to get our first image of a black hole and we brought it in and it looks exactly like the one from interstellar, uh, that these computer models predicted it correctly. Um, and so what we see in the movie is pretty, pretty much what we can, yeah. ex- what we can expect from what a black hole looks like. I think the notable difference is we don't have the ring around, uh, the black hole that we've observed in real life, like our Gantua has, but evidence suggests that we're viewing the black hole that we've got an image of, uh, from one of its poles. So we're looking down on it basically. And the ring goes around it. Hmm. Yeah.
1: It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, well, awesome. yeah, we've talked a little Very bit about much. the Tesseract and being inside the black hole, um, you know, coop sacrificing himself so that brand can make it ending up in the black hole. And then of course the Nolan, twist is he was the one communicating with Murph the whole time mm-hmm. from inside. Cause time works differently in the Tesseract and these, Future beings are talking to him to talk to Murph, um, and you know, I think in the hands of a less capable director, love transcending dimensions could be the dorkiest thing in any movie, and it works. but if so we don't understand, here.
0: but if we see that love is a residual effect of some other observable force, right. like to scientifically quantify love might be possible. right, right. It's just so, so good. I can't yeah. believe how good it is so, is there anything else we want to knock out in the Tesseract? I just think the Tesseract is one of the coolest movie sequences of all. The fact that he, uh, he talks about, uh, so we are three-dimensional beings, right? We can move in three dimensions. We have our, our X-axis, our Y-axis, our Z-axis. It's so, like, think of your graph paper from high school. You've got your, your vertical X-axis and, and horizontal Y-axis. And then your Z-axis runs perpendicular to that paper. It's like a, a front-to-back thing, basically. If we consider time as a fourth axis, we, can, we live and move in those three axes, and then we feel the fourth axis. Uh, and so if we have a five-dimensional being that can now exert control over the four dimensions below them, uh, the same way that we, a four-dimensional being, can exert control over the three dimensions below us, that's how humans are able to build that Tesseract and place Murph inside that Tesseract at that time where he begins uh, to be able to move through time as if it's a physical location. They fold four-dimensional space into three-dimensional space. That, to me, is the distillation of my super pump. That it's like, how, like... What other movie does anything like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, uh, Nolan keeps going to these spaces that we are all somewhat familiar with, and yet they're such a big mystery. And yet he begins to make them a little more tangible Mm -hmm. in a way that he can, you know, we talk about dreams from inception and then now just space and time. This is like baby's baby's
0: first relativity.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Relativity for dummies. Um, but so we wake up in Cooper station. They have, um, I love that they've put his house there. I love the effect of clearly some inception holdover on the inspiration of the, uh, the buildings up above. I love when the kids hit the baseball yeah. and gravity at the midway point takes over. So the ball is falling instead of rising shatters yep. the window. Yeah. That's so good. Yep. That's my soup. My, my super dump is not that scene, but my super dump is the design of Cooper. Oh, Station. really? Really? Um, yeah. And it's not, if, if this was the first time I ever saw anything like this and I hadn't played mass effect or halo or, sure. you know, I, then it would have been awesome. But I think I'm, I'm now holding Christopher Nolan to such a high standard. It was like, just do something completely mm. different. And this didn't feel, this really didn't feel that to me. Huh. Um, it's awesome to look at, but it's not, it's not anything that, that I felt like was just shiny and sure. new in a movie that had just given me stuff that I still can't chew on. Yeah. You know? And so, and I don't think this set was meant to be like that for you, right? We're not supposed to keep talking about what Cooper Station right. looks like when we finish this movie, but it, it, yeah, it just—I don't think it was lazy because I don't want to say anything about him. It's tricky. It's tricky, right?
0: Because like every movie with a car, the car is going to have some wheels on the ground and some metal part of a body because that's the way cars are. And well, I mean, mm-hmm. Jordan. It is your corner. I want to clarify that I'm understanding this correctly.
1: I don't really have time to explain it all to you, but that sounds about, I mean, you're as close as you're going to get.
0: That's fair. (laughs) But this kind of like Taurus space station is the most, the most feasible form of like long form space travel. And that's why we used it in Halo and Mass Effect and this. And I mean, even in the Martian, even the endurance is based on that same principle that you have to use Centrifugal force to basically cheat gravity and push yourself toward the outside of your rotating cylinder with the same force that gravity exerts on a person down on Earth. Yeah, I get what you're saying, though. I mean, wanting something different. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I think it could have. It's just because I. Yeah,
1: for sure. And to reiterate, too, it's like for me, there was other stuff that people had a pretty good idea about what that would look like, Uh, and and yet Christopher Nolan earlier in this movie has taken that and given me some brand new look at it. And he doesn't do that here. And so that's why I was like, "Eh." yeah, it definitely doesn't mean there was no way I did. There was no way I was going to leave the theater. I was not afraid. I didn't even feel that. Can you imagine that person? That's like, Oh, that's uh, it.
0: Are you serious? This is the Citadel from mass effect. That's it for me. Bungie did this decades (laughs) ago. Uh, The ending does feel a little rushed though. Agreed to me. Like, we get here and we montage through what I feel like could be one of the most interesting parts of this movie. Cooper's decision to go back out into space and look for Princess Amelia Mianette, Thermopolis, Rinaldi. Brand. But we kind of just I just wanted to finish it. No, I appreciate it. We kind of just montage through it, yeah. though.
1: I do like the ending. Um, I like the hopeful tone. Um, but I agree. It does feel like it's like, okay, let's go get to the end. Exactly. It also it rubs a little salt in the wound of if that guy actually isn't dead on the way. Dude, planet. but if that's true, yeah. he's it's only been it, there for like nine hours. Yeah, right. Because it's not about saving him though. Because everyone just assumes that poor dude. Everyone assumes he's dead. <laughs> dude, not even nine hours though. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah it no, wouldn't be long at it all. It would be about nine hours because it's been like sixty years, seven. Yeah, crazy. It's been crazy that we Ninety
0: years. If we're to assume he's thirty-five when he takes off, he's like one hundred and twenty-six when he wakes up. So in about ten hours,
1: he's. It's. But still, I think they tell him how old he is. I think it was that or one hundred twenty-four or something like that. But, uh, much like you know, this movie ends. It's time for this podcast to end. So it's time for us to rate this movie using science, the scientific cinema scale that is. (laughs) Can I do a plug? Can I plug? I'm going to plug one of our new designs on. Our merch store is also this this it's very true. scientific cinema scale. It's so true.
0: Just go go check it out. You can it get it on a sticker, on a pillow, on a tote bag, tattoo, whatever you
1: want. The scientific Amazing. cinema scale is the perfect way to rate movies and it is as follows. The best thing we could ever say about a movie is own it, don't lend it, buy, buy that poster. poster. The next best thing? That's buy it. Followed by rent it, and then stream it. After that is forget it and last but certainly least. The worst thing we could ever say about a movie. God, God hath forsaken us. I'll go first because I'm feeling it. Uh, I'm buying this poster. Obviously it's great. It's uh, it's an incredible movie. I love it. I'm buying the poster. That's it.
0: It's so good. I'm going to go next and I'm going to say some very bold things. So buckle up. Uh, Science, you guys probably know this. I'm sure I've said this on the show before. Science fiction is my number one favorite genre. Like no contest, any movie with an astronaut in it is going to be a movie that I love, even if it's bad. Fortunately, this one isn't. If I think of my favorite modern science fiction movies, I think the trifecta becomes Arrival, Gravity, and The Martian. And I think I like them for very specific reasons. Arrival messes with the concept of time uh, and the fluidity of being outside of time means that you can affect all points in a timeline equally. Interstellar does too. And I think Interstellar does it better. Gravity uh, is a movie about the harshness and unpredictability of space and how ultimately you cannot blame space because nature is neither good nor evil. It simply is. And I think Interstellar does that better. The Martian... I think is about the horror of trying to live somewhere other than, uh, other than the Earth. Uh, the existential dread and terror of trying to colonize other planets uh, and the threat of surviving on those planets. And I think Interstellar does it better. I have talked before, uh, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, um, and I think in our Spielberg series, I said both of the movies during those episodes, I said Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite movie. Uh, And then I said, E.T. is my favorite movie. And I think I have been running from the fact that Interstellar is my favorite movie. Uh, Something about it felt like it was too new or too fresh, and I wanted to see if it stood the test of time. But at this point, I'm planting my flag and I don't care if it stands the test of time. Interstellar is hands down my very favorite movie. So, you're so rent I'm going to buy this poster. Yeah, so, yeah, so I'm going to stream it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to buy this poster. So I'm going to Absolutely buy this it. poster. Yep. Also, speaking of gravity, I bet this movie was called Gravity in early drafts and then that Sandra Bullock movie came out and they had to change it. Done took it. Took it away. You mentioned, I think,
1: five sci-fi movies just now? Yeah. Uh, not including Interstellar. And you said it far more eloquently than the internet movie database has. Um, but Interstellar is ranked higher than all of them, mm. uh, in terms of the the highest rated movies of all time on this specific uh database, which it's mm. 30th. Wow. And this is still not even uh not even the highest ranking for this director. But uh I buy the poster too, and it's just with with everything that y'all have said. It is, uh, it's so good. And it's, I I think, I think fantasy in general is my favorite genre, but it is not in my, it is not my favorite genre in the current modern movie making. I think sci-fi is absolutely killing it right now. For real. And yeah, it's just so good.
0: I think that's because we've seen the sci fi of more traditional fiction stories. Mm-hmm. Like I think things like the MCU did not need to be a sci-fi series. It could have just been a superhero comic book series, but we sci fi fied it <laughs> with Iron Man. Right. And so we're stuck in the sci-fi lens through which we view those stories now.
1: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good point. Never thought of it that way, but I think that's a good point. Hey, so next week we will be wrapping up our Nolan series with the final movie, Dunkirk. I haven't seen those this. This came out the,
0: th- the Thursday before my wedding. So I was quite busy doing other things.
1: I'm pretty excited. I haven't seen this one since theaters either. So um, I'm pretty pumped to watch it again and talk about it. I think that's going to be great. interested to see what Doge has to say about a movie he's never seen before, which is always good. And, Mm -hmm. of course, we're looking forward to our Chusical series coming up after that. So there's a... It's a, it's a loaded horizon upon which our gaze falls, and it's going
0: to be... And beyond the horizon, the singularity. <laughs> yes, Nobody can glimpse hey, the, what lies hey, at the core. Hey, the
1: singularity. <laughs> to end today's episode, I'd like for us each to say our name and what the name of our spinny space station would have been if we were going into space. For Two Chunks in a Hunk, I'm Jordan, and... You can go ahead, and if you'd like to, you may let it rip because I would name my station the
0: Beyblade. Perfect. I'm Doge, uh, and it costs you one ticket, but you may step right up and take a ride <laughs> on the fantastic interstellar voyage aboard the Tilta world. Nice. Hey,
1: uh, I'm Carter, and mine will be called the Norris, and, and let me explain. Um, Norris is uh, Chuck Norris himself is Who? very well known for a roundhouse kick. Mm-hmm. Chuck Duh-huh. Norris? Charles. oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Char- Charlie Norris. Charlie yeah. Norris so, <laughs> It would be uh, known as as the Norris. I like that.